Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to TCK Care the Podcast with your host Stephen Black as we come together sharing stories and strategies for supporting TCKs in all walks of life. I am sto- so stoked about today's episode because we have a, an author who has been referenced several times by several different people on the podcast already. Tim Sanford, author of I Have to Be Perfect. Uh, Tim, welcome to the show. It's glad to be here, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, Tim, can you... Uh, I I believe you're an MK and a PK, is that correct? That is correct. I don't know if that's a badge of honor or not. My parents started out uh, as missionaries in Ecuador, South America. So my earliest memories are, uh, you know, language school in Costa Rica and then, you know, Ecuador. And so when we, quote, came home to the United States... Uh, it was not home to me, it was a foreign country. And then we went straight from a Latin-speaking country to the the middle of the Midwest in Ohio, and that was quite a culture shock for me. Since then, my parents have still done missionary work along the Texas-Mexico border, living in Texas, working in Mexico, and then some pastoring a little bit along the way, and then ended up being a professor's son, a professor's kid, and my dad was a professor of missions for a number of years, so I've got a lot of different angles of it all messed up all together here. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. And that answers the where you're from question. You kind of like just handled that quite nicely. <laughs> yeah, and I actually I actually logged it one time because I was doing a, a transition course is a big word in TCK world, and I actually counted up. I moved 26 times before I graduated from high school, so... Yeah, there's a lot of moving around, and where are you from as well? Where are the boxes this week? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, Tim, if I can get into things a little bit here, can you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your book on perfection? Well, it it started off, as as a therapist, we, we listened for what's the thinking behind people's responses and emotions and and beliefs and actions. And so I started hearing a number of similar themes to MK and PK's thinking and just started collecting it. And what bubbled to the surface was nine, and I call them the holy heresies, nine very, very common traits I heard more frequently than than any others among PKs and MKs, and I put it together first in a a workshop and presented it to the first annual Preacher's Kid Conference in Nashville, Tennessee with Sean DePierce, the comedian as the host there, and they said, where can we buy this book? And I said, it is no book, and out of that then eventually came getting it published and putting it into a, a reproducible form. Okay, that's cool. So if you can tell me, what are the uh, top heresies for TCKs? Well, as I was looking down through, because there's nine of them that I have at least listed there, and I think the, the three that tend to be most common that I hear most frequently and, and struggling with are the, I'm here for others. One that's real related to that is other people's needs are more important than my own. And then the third one is I should already know. Mm. And, and those first two are somewhat related but a little bit different. And 
you go, well, hello, my parents are missionaries are supposed to be helping people who are lost and going to hell. Of course, we're here for them. Yeah. You know? And since I'm the missionary kid, our family are missionaries, and I have to do my part in saving the world too. So, of course, I'm here for others. And since they're needing Jesus, needing Jesus is a bigger need than you know, my needing help with my math problems. So their needs are more important than mine. You see how it can just develop. And what I found, Stephen, is the parents don't normally teach this. Sometimes they'll say that, but most of the time it's just they live that out that, of course, other people's needs are more important than you. You got pretty good, so what you complaining about? Mm. That seems like a tough one to handle in that, you know, uh, you've got it good and you've got it better than other people, so what's the big deal? Why are you complaining? Why do you need attention? All that. Well, exactly. And what what I've also realized living now stateside for uh, most of my adult years, all of my adult years, um, is the U.S. cultural thinking, one of the elements of it is it tends to be binary. It's either or. Mm-hmm. You're either Republican or Democrat. And particularly when it becomes a politicized event, it's a bi- very binary world. You're either pro-life, pro-choice, you're this or you're that. And a lot of times for MKs, our parents aren't third culture kids. Sometimes they are. A lot of times they're not. And so they do have more of a binary thinking. And so it's, it's either their needs or our needs. It's like, no. It is not an either or. Hmm. And, and, and that's where, for TCKs who, in a lot of cultures, were not as binary, and that can be one of the assets for the TCK thinking, is we're not as binary. And so the, the key word that we're used to is and, which mm-hmm. in the English language, by the way, Stephen, is a real difficult word. It's hmm. a simple, easy word, but it's very difficult because you can't be this and that both. You know, you're either a friend or you're a foe. You, you, you can't you, you, you can't be very much pro whatever, you know, yes. pro business and economy and pro environment, both. You, you just can't. Yeah, the, well, word, the word seems to imply a contradiction. It, exactly, exactly. And so that's where I think these, these two, I'm here for others and other people's needs are more important than my own, gets in a sense, just inadvertently trained into us. And, you know, uh, as you're talking about others' needs being more important than my own, uh, a certain scripture comes to mind. Uh, I think it goes something along the lines of, and I'm going to quote this just off my memory so I know I get it wrong, um, put the needs of others before your own, right? Isn't that Philippians 2 or something like that? Ah, and, and, and it's, yeah, it's in Philippians. And here's, here's how we quote it. Don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. Mm. Okay. Now, if you know the scripture, I quoted it wrong. Mm-hmm. I left out two key words. The actual verse is, don't merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. You hear how those two words change everything? Oh, completely. And, and yet... Even though we quote it, what we really sometimes infer and mean, at least here in the U.S., is don't look out for your own interests, look out for the interests of others. 
and then you're more holy, you're more sacrificing. You have this about you if you do that. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to use that as a technical term from here on out. <laughs> well, and, and you know that a preacher's kid or a missionary kid's second or third or fourth language is sarcasm. Yep. And so that's just a, a given in our conversation here today. And so, and so we just grow up with that, and a lot of times we do have it nicer than the nationals around us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true. And so then there's this added weight of, well, you have so many things and so many blessings and so much to eat and so it is. So it's, it's somehow sinful to, to have needs yeah. or desires or wants. It's like, I don't see that in Scripture at all. Now, what I do see in Scripture is, if it's all about me, all about me, all about me, there's a problem. Yeah. See, it's not an either-or, though. Hmm. Jesus died for those nationals that we're witnessing to. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Did Jesus die for me? Absolutely. So which one's more important? Right. See, and, I, and what we do is, I, I call it the bowling alley theology. Um, I, I do a lot of word pictures, Stephen, with that. And so in the one gutter is pride and arrogance and it's all about me and it's about me and Jesus loves me more than everybody else and that's dumb and wrong and stupid and that's not theologically correct so in order to not be prideful and arrogant like that we throw ball in the other gutter which is the oh poor me I'm a worm I'm no good I'm not important but in the bowling alley which gutter nets you more points right either Mm -hmm. one gets you zero where you want to roll the ball is somewhere in the middle, in the lane, because you want to keep out of either one of those extreme gutters. So to keep out of one, we go to the other extreme, and we're at the same points, and it doesn't do any good. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, it makes us look more religious. It makes us sound more holy, but it's not true. Mm-hmm. That kind of gets gets into my next question here, Tim, which is, what makes these heresies so popular? Why are they why are they common heresies? I mean, you know, obviously there's an element of um destruction that's inherently wrapped up in this and that if you're always putting putting others before yourself and it's a uh, your needs are not important and others needs are um it's sounds like a recipe for burnout. Why would anyone believe that and accept it? Because, and here, here's the thing, if you want to be a really good liar, so here, here's a free lesson. If you want to be a really good liar, put the most amount of truth in your sentence. Because see, in, in each of these heresies, there's, well, except for the, the last one God disappointed with me, there can be a little bit of truth in it. See, we are here for the lost. See, that's partially true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And there are times when I put other people's needs in front of mine. There are. That's true. Mm-hmm. There are times where it is important, maybe not to be perfect, but to have a sense of excellence. I do want to be excellent, and things tend to go better for the other people around me when I do things with excellence. 
So the I have to be perfect sounds. So all. So a lot of these have that little sense of it sounds somewhat accurate, and sometimes there is some truth to it. But you mix in a little bit of leaven with the rest of the bread, and it impacts the whole loaf. You put just a little bit of arsenic in your glass of iced tea, and you poison the whole glass. Yeah. And so that's why they're, they're so, in a sense, believable, is because there is some truth to a lot of them. I mean, I should already know, a lot of times as missionary kids, you know, kids, when it comes to the biblical things in Scripture, a lot of times we do, know, we do tend to know more stuff about the Scriptures. Duh, we hear it all the time. Okay. Right. Um, and we're around it a lot. And, and so just naturally we tend to assimilate more information. So we are more knowledgeable a lot of times with it. Then the implication, since I'm more knowledgeable, people look at me as if I know. And so when they look at me as if I know, then I think, well, I should know. And then when I pretend to know, they look at me going, well, he really does know. And then all of a sudden you get this big spiral, and then I feel this pressure. I just should already know this stuff. I should already be more mature. I should already have this figured out. I shouldn't be struggling. And that big should, 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 shouldn't, shouldn't word comes in, and it's a big deep voice with a big long finger. You should, you shouldn't. And it creates this very forceful out of not out of not in my control sense of these are the things obligatory that I should know but sometimes I really don't I mean I was never asked during my junior high and high school years if I wanted to be discipled that, that was, and that was possible back then now it's more mentoring but I was in, a, in an environment where it was really cool and neat to be discipled by somebody Nobody ever asked me if I wanted. They always asked me if I wanted to lead. Hmm. Well, I, I did happen to know a lot because I do enjoy studying the scriptures and and those kind of things. And so you just you see how just kind of inadvertently you just think, well, I guess I should know this. Mm-hmm. Everybody looks at me and thinks I do. So that's how a lot of these come about. The last one that God is disappointed with me is comes a lot in my own conclusion and. Because I do have needs, and I want my needs met, because I don't know everything I think I should know, and because of some of these other things that I know I'm not, well, if I know the bad things about me, I know God knows more about me than I do, and he knows more about the bad stuff than I even know about me, and so he's got to be disappointed with me because I'm letting him down. Hmm. And so I put my view of myself onto God sees me this way, Mm-hmm. So that's how that one comes about. But does that make some sense? That there's a lot of there's truth in some of these, and that's why we're, it's so believable. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a there's an element of truth in it. Um, there's just enough lie to sour the whole thing, and then because you because you're caught in this lie, uh, believing that you ought to be someone that you're not, something that you're not and have this self-imposed expectation, you know that you're failing at your own expectation. And so then that makes you a failure, and you believe that God is going to see you that way as well. Well, of course, because if I don't, if I'm not perfect, then people won't listen to my father as he preaches, because I'm being distracted in the pew, and if they don't listen to him, then they won't believe in Jesus, and they'll die and go to hell, and it'll be my fault. <laughs> now, the, the key no thing to remember here too, Stephen, is, is... The younger we are as children, when we're the PK or the MK, 
younger children almost always believe if something goes bad, it's their own fault. Hmm. Even if they're never told that. Hmm. Even if they're told sometimes the opposite, they still will sometimes believe it's their fault. So yeah, the reason why the Smiths left the church, the reason why, you know, the neighbors didn't come to the the meeting or whatever, is because I was acting out or I didn't say hello to their little child, and so it's my fault. And so it's not rational, it's not accurate, but that's how children will sometimes conclude and of course, if it's all my fault and they die and go to hell, then definitely God disappointed with me because I wasn't being what I should be and how I needed to be. And, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because we so often tend to look at this going, okay, as an adult who can think rationally and accurately, why in the world would somebody end up believing this? Most of our belief systems have been established by the time we're age of 10. Hmm. And if you think back when you were 10, at least when I was 10, I didn't know everything about the world, and I didn't have all the data to make good, accurate, wholesome decisions. Right. Yet most of our conclusions and our decisions, particularly about ourselves and God and others and my value and worth and all those kind of things, were decided by the time we were 10. And so that in and of itself can lend to the fact where well, there's some partial truth in it, I go, oh, okay, I guess that's the way it is. And it makes sense to me as a simple, you know, five or seven-year-old who's very concrete, linear in their thinking, going, okay, I guess it was my fault. Hmm. Or, I guess I have to be perfect, or any one of the, any one of the beliefs. So, if an MK, TC, TCK, PK, any of those any of those letter groups are listening in on this and they go, yeah, you know what? That is me. And on a certain level, I do believe that lie. I have bought into that heresy and I don't like it. I want out. I want to believe something else. How does one go about getting out of it? Okay. And, and that's a real good question, Stephen, because just telling you to stop thinking that way or stop believing that won't work. Right, it's kind of like saying, okay. stop thinking uh, about a pink elephant, right? Now what are you thinking about? Yeah, exactly. pink elephant, stop it. Yeah, and, and so let's, let's pray to stop thinking about the pink elephant, and let's pray that you'll have salvation, that you won't think of the pink elephant anymore. And the more you tell you to not think of the pink elephant, the more you think of the pink elephant, and then you start beating up on yourself for thinking of the pink elephant, because you're not supposed to, and now you got this spiral in your brain, and you've lost track of what's going on. So, exactly. So, I, and I mentioned this in, in Chapter 13 of the book, I Have to Be Perfect. The first part about it is you've got to become aware of Something's not right here. And then find what that that old record... The way I explain it is your brain is like a jukebox. Okay. Okay? I know they won't teach you this in, in grad school for, for psychology. It's true, though. Your brain is like one of those old jukeboxes, and you have all the records, and you have a little control panel out front. Except in your brain, each record is a short little phrase, not a song, but a short little concise phrase. And that's where these heresies are, that short little phrase, I should already know, I have to be perfect, God's disappointed with me, all dogs bite, whatever, whatever. So your, your whole worldview, if you want to say, is on a bunch of 45 records in your head in a jukebox. That's, that's what your brain's like. So, and you don't do blank spots in your brain, so I need to find that record that's not true. Well, I guess I have to be perfect. 
and go, okay, there's the record. It's not true. Mm-hmm. So I have to then go in and make another recording, in a sense, of what is true. And then replace the lie with the truth. And this is what Paul was talking about when he talked about the transforming of the mind. That transforming is a work, an effort, a wrestling, a wrenching of it. I got to move from the lie to what the truth is. And what I encourage people to do is, is make a short little concise phrase, a new recording, a new record of what the truth is. Okay. No, it's not. And, and, and just having a, no, I don't need to be perfect is not the new record. Because that's just saying, don't think of the pink elephant. What is true about me? Well, it's good to work towards excellence. That may be the new record. I have to be perfect. That's the lie. No, it's good to work towards excellence. Let's say that one's the truth. Here's the problem, though, is... The old record has a lot of emotional energy charged to it. Mm-hmm. That, and the new record sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. There's no energy yet. Yeah. And so it is a matter of repeat, repeat, memorize, put sticky notes around, repeat it, journal it again, journal it again, and slowly life experiences will start to give it some energy because it is the truth, it just needs some experiential energy to attach to it. And so I repeat, 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 go over it and go over it again, you know, taking every thought captive, there you go, mm-hmm. okay, thinking on what is good, wholesome, healthy, think on these things, Paul said. So that's that effort and that energy. It's not a complicated process. It's not easy, though. Because one of the records we have in our jukebox, the very last one at the end of the line, is that all my records are true and accurate, and I can prove it. Because I pull out experiences that seem to prove that that record is true. Right. Even when it's not. Yeah. And I have to be able to realize, going, wait a minute, not all my records may be accurate. Some of them are, and that's fine. Polish them off, dust them off, put them back in your jukebox, and keep them. The ones that aren't, though, I need to be willing to look at it and challenge it. Because remember, most of those records were made by the time you were 10 years old. And you didn't know everything when you were 10. Mm. As much as you thought you did, you didn't. (laughs) And yet, those are the records that you're living off of today. You may be 20, 30, 70 years old, and you're living off of records that were made when you were 10. So the question, the challenge I put out to your podcast listeners, don't assume those records are accurate. Be mm-hmm. willing to look at them and challenge them, pull them out, listen to them, and the other people's needs are more important than my own, going, wait a minute, that's not completely true. And then create a new record, here's what is the truth about me and my needs and other people's needs. And then it's a matter of repeat, repeat, Remember, remember, practice, practice over and over again. So it sounds to me like it really starts with self-awareness. And in the moment when the heresy starts wreaking havoc on your life and you go into this uh, panic attack because you know you're not perfect enough for yourself um, or for what you think other people might be, going, why do I feel this way? Oh, yeah. And then 
honesty comes in and you say, it's because I want to be perfect. <laughs> I've started telling people that I want to be liked by everyone. And um, I know it's not a healthy belief, but it's just a belief. And I'm being honest with myself. And um, the more I'm honest about this, the more I realize how unrealistic it is. And I can start listening to the other record, um, which is that relationships are valuable and I want uh, significant relationships in my life. Um, so it's like awareness, honesty, and then getting into what you're talking about, the replacing the replacing the old record thing. Exactly. And sometimes, here's where it's important to have a, a, a few good, close friends that can listen to you going, Stephen, why are you thinking that way? That's really quirky and weird. Because <laughs> to you, it doesn't sound quirky and weird. It sounds like the truth. Yeah, exactly. Because you've lived it for you know, 20, 30, 70 years, and it feels true to you. And they look at you going, that's not true, guy. And you're going, what do you mean? it? What? And so that friends can sometimes challenge you to where I couldn't even see it in my own jukebox if the record was screwy. I'm feeling the impact of it being messy. Okay, and not accurate. Mm -hmm. but I couldn't hear it or see it, and so my friend is able then, or if I'm reading or those kind of things, it's somebody taps me on the shoulder and goes, "Dude, wake up! That's not true about you. God's not disappointed with you, even though you did blah 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 blah." And you go, "Oh, really?" Mm -hmm. And you go, "Yeah, yeah. You just have to tell me that." So that's where that friendship, that community, can come into play. It can be real helpful as well. So self-awareness, sometimes it starts with somebody else is aware before I am, mm. and they kind of wake me up to it. Mm -hmm. You're right. Mm -hmm. I guess my final question for you, Tim, um, as we're kind of winding down here, is that for all of the parents and caregivers of MKs, PKs, TCKs, etc., um, for all those um, loving, supportive, well-meaning individuals, um, they're listening in on this going, I really hope I don't, I'm not raising heretics. You know, I don't want, I don't want my children to believe in this. And maybe there's a little bit of a fr freak out too. Like, Oh no, what have I done? Um, I guess, what would you say? What would you say to them? What steps can be taken to prevent, um, heresies in children or to, um, bring a sense of wholeness and health to children yeah, and, and I love speaking to the parents of the MKs and, and, and the PKs because here's my message to them is it's not that complicated and so if you know what the holy heresies are if you know where the pitfalls are most likely to be it's very very easy to live and teach what the truth is from the get go be intentional about it okay because a lot of times the parents aren't trying to be mean and nasty to their kids. No way. It's just that these things tend to develop without anybody realizing it. And so as a parent, all I need to do is be intentional. Here's where the falls that my child can fall into in their belief system. Okay, I'll start from the get-go teaching the truth. What about your needs? Your needs are important, and I will listen to you. And there are times where I might need to say, I can't right now because I'm witnessing to so-and-so. There will be other times where I'll say, okay, you have my full attention. It's a both and. And so very easily as a parent, I can teach with my words and with my lifestyle what the truth is. And when you have the truth record, you're not going to have the screwy record 
in your jukebox. That's uh, that sounds encouraging. That um, just having an awareness of the heresies um, gives you a leg up in um, preventing them from cropping up and taking root in children. Well, it's like if you're in a boxing ring with a blindfold on and you can't see your opponent, who's going to win? Right. Doesn't matter whether it's a 98 pound weakling, scrawny little person. They can see you can't, but as soon as you know what you're up against, as soon as you can see the enemy, as soon as you can see the pitfalls, it's much, much easier to correct it either from the get-go or even after the fact. I, I've had a number of parents where they, their teenager got the, the book, I Had to Be Perfect, first, and then hand it to mom and dad and go, here, read this. <laughs> and the parents go, oh my gosh. It opened up a bunch of good conversation, though, with again, okay. And the parent called me and said, I, I've taught some of these to my kid. What do I do now? Go, it's not too late. Okay, teach what the truth is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you caused some hurt and some, you know, some disappointment along the way. Okay, take a deep breath. And, and what is the truth on the particular ones that your teenager, you know, mentions fit for them? Okay, now, the two of you together search what the truth is. Because if, if I do have a favorite verse in the scriptures, it's when Jesus was saying, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, he was talking about salvation, yes. That statement, though, is true about all kinds of things. The truth will set you free. And so as a parent, go back, find your own records, what needs to be true for you, what's true for your son or your daughter, okay, let's start buying into what the truth really is and let's be intentional about helping us hope in. Hmm. That, that's great, Tim. I just want to ask, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the book uh, I Have to Be Perfect and Other Parsonage Heresies? Because I really want my audience to know um, what to look for in the book and what they're going to be getting out of it, uh, what to expect in it. Um, I think this is a, a real great start with that. And, and again, as people have already commented in your podcast or back to you before, one of the things I like about the book is the book doesn't have a lot of, it's not an answer book. It's more of that awareness book kind of thing. And so I, that's why I encourage parents of PKs and MKs to read it on here's what to stay away from. You know, and just for that, huh, so that that good challenge of, you know, check out your thinking, and here's at least some places to start, mm-hmm. can be real helpful. So I, I think our conversation has covered a real good, you know, basis for things on that. Um, and that's why sometimes with other MKs or PKs, they can be that sounding board for, you know, one another. Mm-hmm maybe a, an encouraging piece to of you know, find other MK, talk with PKs, see what they see in you, have them listen to your thinking and call you out on things. Maybe a good call to action for this too. Mm. Does that make some sense? Absolutely. Okay. And and yeah, you can find it at Amazon.com. I have to be perfect and other parsonage heresies. If and it's, it's full sarcasm, because that's how we talk. <laughs> the, main, the main part of it, though, is looking at these nine holy heresies and just describing them so that you can be, the reader can become aware of, huh, 
does this fit me or does it not? There's not an assumption that it does. Okay. Yeah. The question here is, does it fit you? Does it not? And there's a little evaluation quiz thing in the back that you can take and just kind of self-score yourself. And then there are several chapters, one particular on if you tend to be a worrier, how to break that thinking pattern. If you do tend to be perfectionistic in your thinking, how to break that. There's a chapter on this whole topic of forgiveness on some things. So, so there's a couple of those helpful chapters, but it doesn't just give you a bunch of, here's all the answers, now believe it. Mm-hmm. it. It's a starter book to get you to really think and ponder and go, okay, you're not just the only one that's like this. Mm. Here's some things to be listening for, though. Mm. It's a much more of a self-awareness type thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's a let's do this together kind yeah. of book. That's awesome. Again, uh, that's I Have to Be Perfect and Other Parsonage Heresies by Timothy L. Sanford, and it's available on Amazon.com, and I will put a link in the show notes. So go to Amazon, check it out. If you're on TCKCare.com, you can just click on the link in the show notes. Um, that'll take you right to it. Uh, so, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us and to... Um, challenge some thinking out there and on a personal level thanks for the free therapy (laughs) much appreciated always Stephen glad to be asked to be here appreciate it thank you very much absolutely you've been listening to TCK Care the podcast with me Stephen Black as we share stories and strategies for supporting TCKs Hosting and producing TCK Care, the podcast, is a part of my ministry, which is made possible by the generous support of my financial partners. If you would like to make a one-time or recurring pledge, please go to tckcare.com slash give. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate it on your favorite podcast app, and stay tuned for more TCK Care coming up next week.